Hey guys, I'm Jay. And I'm A. And you're listening to Recipe and ID. Hi guys. Hi everyone. We are so glad you've chosen to join us and forgive us for our misgivings on missing an episode. We hope you enjoyed our mini-sode. Though it wasn't really a mini-sode. No, it was almost a full-length episode, but we really had a lot of fun recording it. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun listening to it. So hi, you guys. Um, So this week, like I said, uh, in our mini-sode, if you got a chance to listen to it, or the episode four, um, we're getting into my mini-series on the top 100... um, franchise items that are menu items for each for each restaurant uh and these are based on i did look it up it's 2500 people interviewed for each year and it's out of each state so that means in indiana they interviewed 2500 people and then they essentially went through all 50 states i can't guarantee they did it for alaska and hawaii they said they were average numbers in each location but they were high volume districts when they did these interviews so it's a pretty solid number to go off of. Uh, I also have a list that I can send to you guys that I'll, I'll link in our, our bio or on our Facebook page so you guys can follow along with it. Uh, like I said, I'm going to do five today, and I'm going to go over some fun facts about each one. I'm still going to do a um, a recipe at the end, and this one is kind of geared towards St. Patrick's Day because when this uh, episode goes live, it'll be the day the right. The Friday after. Yeah, the Friday's following. So it's kind of a leftover meal, which you'll kind of like it to, to do with your corned beef if you decide to have corned beef for that one. Uh, but it's a pretty solid meal. So, I love corned beef. Yeah, he does love corned beef. We're ma- <laughs> we're literally this making- is my second one in the month of March that I made. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It yep, it is. Okay. So going through the list, we're going to start at number 100, and we're going to try and work our way to one. Uh, that'll be the five for this week. Next week, I'll do an actual episode on another item, and then we'll kind of rotate in these random five until we get to the number one item. Jumping right in. Yeah. So jumping in right now, the number 100, what do you think it is? Fast food item. These are all common items, so you shouldn't be things that nobody has never heard and of. And are they common fast food franchises, like yeah. for the most part? Oh, I think almost all of them are. I, there was not a single it's one that like I didn't... a Jujubee or whatever? No, I, there wasn't a single Jollibee. one. I went through the one the 100 list and there wasn't a single one that I had never heard of. Okay, perfect. Um, the number 100 item, so the least popular? Least? In in a sense of 100 least items. Least named item, I right. should say. Yeah, the 100 items. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, apple slices from McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> uh, McDonald's French fries. Oh. I, I was right on McDonald's, though. Yeah, and I, and I wanted I to I actually, be... I, I knew that it was McDonald's French fries, and I forgot. I... So <laughs> that wasn't really a shtick. I literally forgot. Yeah, because we literally had a whole conversation, <laughs> which is why I was like so sorry. So he was like our, going through Our recipe thing. is based off of the it 100 is. item. Oh, it so. is. The... Oh, so our recipe for today is based on the 100 item, which is a French fry. So we'll do a French fry recipe at the end. Um, but it is it is McDonald's French fries. I'm not surprised. I want to be surprised. But when I looked at the list, I will be really honest. McDonald's shows up pretty low on the list for a lot of people. But I think it's because it's become such a common place and a common name that people just forget about it. That's I, not untrue. I think that's just kind of what it is. Because don't get me wrong, Five Guys French Fries shows up on here. Chick-fil-A French Fries show up on here. Tater Tots. Um, our, our um, 
pumpkin spice latte shows up here. There's a, there are mm. a ton of things on this list, and it's just very interesting that these ones have it. And I will be honest, in these the these five, three of them are McDonald's items. And I think I genuinely think it's wow. Be- I know, and I think it's, it's probably because they are so, so common. I I agree you with don't... you. You're going to be surprised about number ninety nine, though. I think also. So fun fact about McDonald's French fries: seven percent of potatoes grown in the United States become a McDonald's French fry. Seven percent. Seven percent. That's insane. Okay, now I want to look this statistic up because that's just McDonald's. Right. How many potatoes do you think become French fries? Oh, it's got to be. I would imagine something like sixty percent. Oh, it's not. No, no, really? no, no. No, I thought that too. No, it's actually okay. not. It's much lower. I thought okay. it was going to be that one, but it's not. What is it? Fifteen to thirty-six percent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you want the major one is? Which I didn't realize this either. What the biggest like potato yeah. item is? Yeah. Isn't it? What wouldn't it be just like whole potatoes for stores? Uh, you would think it's not. Okay. I thought that too. It's actually uh, potato chips. Oh, that's they have every not single Yeah, and I mean, and if you think about it also. I mean, and you then think about every, every bag of potato chips has at least like five whole potatoes. And every in bag it. of potato chips isn't just a plain potato chip. You have to think of every flavor. No, there's multiple flavors. Yeah, okay. Nope, that makes sense. Yeah. Big one. Um, potato starch is another one, and then whole potatoes are obviously the next yeah. one. Because even like in that context, think about, like I think about, at the grocery store, there's an entire aisle of potato chips. Yep. In varying waves and flat and flavors and cr- crunch levels and whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's a ton of potatoes. Yep. And then I think about the French fry aisle, and I think about the French fry aisle, and the French fry aisle is short like there's only yeah. a little section and i don't even so, know if this included tater tots or any like the variation of french fries it was just french fries yeah so i don't honestly know the answer to that one either that's super interesting yeah so like that's it's just a I mean, the 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 ratios are really interesting it's very interesting i always get the same that thing i never about, would have thought about no and you never really think about those kind of things which is always fun um so the next one number 99 what do you think number 99 is can i get a brand i can't it is um mexican food Oh, I was looking for like the restaurant. Um, oh, oh, I can see okay. you. I can give you the restaurant if you really want to. I was just thinking, if you give me restaurant, it at least narrows it to a menu. Chipotle. Okay. Um, is is it like burrito or specific type of? Oh, it food? is specific type of. Okay. Yep. I'm gonna say the carnitas tacos. No, it's Chipotle's okay. chicken burrito bowl. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is so funny because this is a staple item on their menu. It has been on their menu since their inception. So like, Everybody I freaking know gets a burrito bowl. Right, and they're almost always the chicken ones. But the chicken one is delicious. I'm no, not gonna lie. I'm steak a chicken. is superior. Yeah, Jay loves I'm a beef person, though. Meat and potatoes. We all know it. But chicken is meat, but I'm a beef, beef and, and potatoes, potatoes person. Yeah. Um, it, it was also one of the driving factors behind the McDonald's and Chipotle franchise com- combination. Hmm. Back in nineteen early nineteen nineties. Wait, what combination? Oh, yeah, that's a fun thing. So, um, in nineteen ninety six, uh, Colorado, there were six Chipotle's in the Colorado state, and that's it. In nineteen ninety six, yeah, Chipotle is that old? Oh yeah, I had no idea. We didn't get Chipotle's here until like two thousand. Ten. Well, and the reason so that so people that don't know this, um, in nineteen ninety six, nobody knows this. You're the food nerd, dear. I, yeah, I'm the food nerd. Okay, you know what? Fine. Uh, in nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety eight time frame, um, supposedly the story goes that as one of the CEOs from McDonald's was skiing in Colorado, 
um, and was vacationing and decided to try the restaurant and had a Chipotle burrito, like got the quintessential gigantic Chipotle burrito and decided at that moment he wanted to partner with Chipotle. And they did. They partnered from 1996 until 2006, uh, roughly 10 years. And the... Like McDonald's was like a silent partner? Oh, no, it wasn't in Chipotle. It was not silent by any means. They were 100% a partner with Chipotle for quite some time. Uh, for that, those 10 years. So, like, did McDonald's carry Chipotle items on their list? Or no, what was their no, partnership? They were, two, they were two separate brands. But okay. essentially, Chipotle was becoming the the Mexican McDonald's. That's yeah. essentially what they were driving factor was. Huh. Get a Chipotle on every single corner like you have for so McDonald's. So, McDonald's was helping them franchise and oh, promoting yeah. them. And they did. And that's if you notice, a, that's, why they, that's why they showed up McDonald's. everywhere. That's so They went from having six restaurants to 384 restaurants in two years. Wow. Yeah. So okay. that should just tell you how quickly Chipotle took on. And unfortunately, that growth is one of the driving factors between the wedge with Chipotle and McDonald's. Um, Chipotle's founding has always been fresh, healthy food, fresh, healthy. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, produce like the and they wanted to support local grown local grown and farm grown, farm grown that, sustainable sustainably grown that's what it is sustainably, sustainably grown harvested thing. and although mcdonald's does do some sustainable growing obviously no. because they well and because in the long and the short of it it's it's a better business model agreed sustainable sustainability for your business model means it'll last forever well yeah and who wants to use all the lettuce in the world yeah exactly. without a without, replenishment yeah exactly yeah so that's the whole process for it um but that was one of the leading driving factors behind why they had to stop being partners with mcdonald's um essentially the overhead couldn't keep up with the under with, okay. the, with the part of it so uh yeah that was in 2006 so they broke off officially in 2006 and they have been a self-standing franchise ever since so um i mean they're going on 16 years or something wild like that. Yeah, it's a crazy. The founding wasn't even in 1996. That was just no, when, that, when the that partnership had happened. Wow. Um, I I don't have that. We'll go into Chipotle a little. No, bit. No, that'll be its own thing. Yeah, but, but that's but the burrito just super bowl, interesting. It's, it's so funny because that was the that was the that was the item this McDonald's CEO okay. had gotten that kind of opened up the doors for Chipotle to partner with McDonald's, which is what made them such a what known today. brand today. Okay. Yeah. Chipotle and McDonald's, huh? Yep. Uh, number 98. It's another McDonald's item. Okay. McDonald's apple pie. No, McDonald's um, quarter pounder. The quarter pounder is number 98. That's why I said. I uh, think you're absolutely right in terms of McDonald's is so saturated and there's so much McDonald's so often that people think, don't think of they it. They don't even think about it anymore. It's like that's the homemade dinner now. It, almost. Like, almost. Uh, McDonald's is the default. Oh, yeah. Like going to Chipotle is wild. Going yeah. to. It's going different. Going to Five Guys is wild. wild. Going to get a burger Red Robin is wild. Yep. Um, so it was founded in nineteen seventy two. <laughs> so which feels very late in the game. I feel like the quarter pounder had been around longer than that. But no, its first uh first fruition was in nineteen seventy two. Uh and it was a direct competitor with which franchise? What do you think the quarter pounder was competing with? Oh, one hundred percent, not a question in my mind. I am proud to be able to answer the Whopper from Burger King. You would be wrong. Are you serious? So wrong. Yeah. What? Uh, the direct competitor for McDonald's for the last 25 years has been Wendy's. 
Um, Seriously? We are from the Midwest where we are overly saturated with Burger Kings. But for those of you that live on the East Coast, for those that live in the South, Burger King is not nearly as saturated as Wendy's is in their franchise. Um, and yes, the direct competitor for McDonald's, although it is in the Midwest, it feels like it's Burger King. It's actually direct competitor is Wendy's. And the reason that it's, it's Wendy's. Bullshit. <laughs> He was so proud of that answer. I was so proud. I know. I love you so, so much. Annoyed. You really, really were. Um, and the other argument is that the the Whopper wasn't, I mean, the Whopper was a thing. It just wasn't a direct competitor for McDonald's. It is now. Don't get me wrong. Those three are kind of the trifecta I of. I say the Whopper's better than the quarter pounder. I'm not going to deny that. I have no, I can't, yeah, I can't really deny that one. Uh, but Wendy's, yeah, the Wendy's, and the reason why it was Wendy's is because Wendy's was um, fresh, never frozen beef patties. Uh, they were locally sourced ground beef. They were locally sourced things. And that was what, like, that is legitimately, and they could do it on a large scale. Like, that's one of the things that, that people were kind of in shock with in the 90s was that Wendy's was doing it. For those of you that don't know this, um, about 87, 76 to 80% of their market grown produce is either locally sourced or sourced from an area, um, a local farm district in their area. So they do district guys. So what that means is they have like a humongous monopoly of, uh, not a monopoly, but a humongous farm franchise they use in that area. So like the Midwest one is in Ohio. They have huge, huge farms in Ohio that they use, um, but they're all local. It's all local grown. So like the, the fruit and veggies that you're getting from Ohio are not shipping to California. They're shipping right. to just the Midwest hmm. uh, and okay. they were able to sustain it. So that's one of the reasons why McDonald's came out with the quarter pounder. Um, they were already in direct competition with the 65 cents or 25 cent cheeseburger and 35 cent. Uh, sorry. 25 cent hamburger and 35 cent cheeseburger. Um, Wendy's had the very same thing. They had their 25 cent bacon cheeseburger and they had their. Which had an extra meat and, and it wasn't, it was never frozen. It was never frozen, right? Yeah. So it's direct competitor with, competitor with that one. Well, and Wendy's didn't have an upgrade. So they never, Wendy's never really had a competitor in the sense they had the Dave, Dave single and the Dave's double, but they didn't have like the Big Mac that was like the. Until. The Baconator. Until the Baconator. Yep. No, I think they probably had one before that, but the Baconator is the most recent. It's the most like, recent fruition, and they had like a large triple scale. They really, but they really never franchised that side. They they did franchise in the chicken market though too. They yeah. had chicken sandwiches. The run. That's the reason why McDonald's got the McChicken was because Wendy's had a chicken sandwich. It was. They, yeah. You can They're, if you look at the two, they 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 do follow each other hand in hand, and right. it's so funny because no one ever compares them to each other. No, I've never the, compared Wendy's with. Burger, at least McDonald's. not in the Midwest. I've always compared Burger King with McDonald's, because which is funny because they're two completely different style of like restaurant, like not style of restaurant. It's the same style, but like McDonald's is the flat top grill, right? Whereas is the Burger King is the flame broiled, yep. and it goes over a flame. But Wendy's is Wendy's a flat top, flat -top grill, grill yep. which puts it in the same direct realm competitor. Of, yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Do you know what I do? You know the one thing that I like about Wendy's burgers better than I like about McDonald's burgers, and it's no. the only thing about it. And if McDonald's did it, they would be one hundred percent superior in my mind. What? The full piece of iceberg lettuce on a burger. Right. I agree with you. I can agree with you on that one. Because even even on the McChicken, it's, it's shredded. the shredded lettuce, yeah. which I think is fine. But if they did a full piece of lettuce like they do on yep. the burger at Wendy's, it would be superior. I can appreciate that. I love the ginger bacon cheeseburger. It is, I know you it do. is my one of my favorite burgers. I'm I'm a big Wendy's person, so 
All right. So the next one is not a franchise that's local to us. Unfortunately, we don't have one in our area. Okay. So I'm not going to make you guess this one. It's Tim Hortons. Okay. Tim Hortons. Yeah. I've had Tim Hortons before, though. But it's not local to us. No, it's it's not super local. It's not a franchise to us that you're really going to know. And I don't necessarily even know if you would know what their top number one item is. Well, Tim Hortons is another burger joint, isn't it? It was a started off as a breakfast coffee I was going to say, wasn't it a breakfast place? It was. It was was like a Hardee's or Hardee's Jr. Or uh, what's the other one for Hardee's? Uh, Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. Because Hardy's and Carl's Jr. are the same thing. I, I believe. think they're under the same parent. Company. I'd have to double check that in my my books, but I think they're, they're the same. Their thing. logos are so they, similar that they have to be under the same yeah, parent. Yeah, I company. think they're very similar. Tim Hortons is very similar to that one. I believe Tim Hortons is a Canadian company that came down. Is it a bacon and egg breakfast sandwich? It is not. Okay, I lose. No, that's fine. I haven't won yet. Yeah, I'm sorry. What is it? Uh, I didn't even win on the one I knew. <laughs> Uh, it's the chocolate donuts. That's their number one, and oh. it's and it's very similar to uh, Krispy Kreme donut. D- please don't crucify me, people. I know that it is different. <laughs> I know they taste different. I'm just explaining the concept to my husband. Uh, there, it is a it is a glazed donut with chocolate on top of it. That is the so donut. it's a it's a white donut. Yep. With yeast, a chocolate glaze. Not a cake donut, yeast right. donut. Yeast donut with yep. a chocolate glaze. It's one of the most popular items, uh, donuts, and it's in its simplicity and lasted well over 60 years. And I'm glad you clarified that because in my head I pictured like a chocolate cake donut. I agreed. And so that's what, yeah. I, nope. Absolutely. It is a yeast donut that's covered in chocolate. Okay. Right. Um, Tim Hortons chocolate donut is number 97. Okay. Tim Hortons will get into because I, I love Tim Hortons and I love their brand. I love their... They're they're almost like A and W in my mind in a lot of ways. They are they're a really good company. Um, so I'm not going to touch like them. They're like the A and W for breakfast. Yeah, kind of. So I'm yeah. going to go that route for them in a little bit. So uh, I can tell you the the chocolate donut has around has been around for 60 years. It's been around as long as their uh, coffee and donut special has been around. Wow, so, which is kind of fun. Cool. Uh, number 96. You are not going to get this one, and don't feel upset about this. What's one the company? Uh, it is Churches. Okay, and I'm going to guess it's their honey. No, their. Uh, Oh, you gave me ice when I I'm said sorry. honey. Um, honey biscuit? It is their honey butter biscuit. Shut up. Yes. Oh, my God. Number you nine. guys, I promise you, I don't know this. He does not. I actually won this one. Yeah. For real. Like, the look <laughs> Andrew gave me when I said honey out of, like, sheer, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just did that. I was very this shocked. This is not planned. No. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. All right. So, Church's Chickens Honey Butter Biscuit. Which are freaking delicious i love church's chicken and we do not have one near us not very near us we have we one have a kfc and a popeye's close. there's one like 20 minutes away okay well i had it in india when i went to visit my cousin c Maybe okay we'll for dinner tonight for church's chicken no we're having some french fries Oh, yeah, we're having French fries. I'm going to make the French fries. Um, All right, so it is Church's Chicken's Honey Butter Biscuits. Um, Now, Church and Chicken has been ranked number 37 in the nation's fast food restaurants. So it's not... That's sad because it should be higher. It it should be higher, but... I, I will be really honest. A lot of the pigeonhole restaurants are lower on the menu. Of so course, like your Popeyes, your your KFCs, straight it's straight chicken. Yeah. They they don't have a variety of menus. It's they tend to fall. Yep. But I will tell you that they are higher than most. Thirty seven is amazing. I did the franchises for the entire. Year. If you think about like the fact that we have seventeen, just McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, yeah. uh, all of the, and you're doing right. Chipotle and Taco about all these like quintessential ones. Do you know off the top of your head? If you don't, that's okay. Uh, where's Chick Fil A on that list? I don't want to tell you. Okay. It's higher than churches. It is higher than churches. That's sad. I will agree with you. It is sad. Here's the thing. And I, we talked about this in the mini. and I didn't get to mention it, but I wanted to, I really do prefer 
Popeye's chicken over Chick-fil-A. I know Chick-fil-A has all of the, like, I'm, I'm going to be really honest, like my husband and I, obviously a part of the Alphabet Mafia, <laughs> and I know Chick-fil-A has all the things on anti-gay, whatever, this, that, and the other. They donate money, this and that. Well, I'm sorry, their chicken's delicious, and as a member of the community, I can go there and eat it. You can't, but I can't. No, I'm kidding. You can't. I don't care. Um, I don't think your $3 chicken sandwich makes it's a big difference. Fun. Yeah, unfortunately. But, it's but, fun, but I still do think I prefer Popeye's chicken over Chick-fil-A only because Popeye's breading is so much crispier. If if Chick-fil-A had could take their pickle brined chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, and make it who, as crispy as Popeye's breading is. It would win out. It would dominate the world more than it already does. No, it does. I agree with you. And for those, I have to say my piece. For those of you that don't know, um, Chick Fil A is a is a brined chicken. So um, there are marinated and brined chickens that are out there. There are companies that do that. Um, KFC is one of them. Popeyes is not one of them. No, they are a breading. They solely rely on their breading, breading. which is freaking delicious. And it is delicious. Uh, KFC does do some. You could bread a shoe in that stuff, and I'd eat it. Yeah, he would. He would eat it, and that's scary for him. Um, but yeah, so that is one of the things. Church's chicken is also a marinated and cooked chicken. Um, it's so good. It, I mean, I'm going to be really honest. I have never had it, so oh, I know. I'm, and I, what's really sad, <laughs> oh, I, lived, I lived next to a Church's chicken for six years. Are you kidding? And you never, never went. had it? I spent one weekend at my cousin C's house, <laughs> and there was a Chick-fil- or, uh, Church's chicken down the block. And one day, of that three days I was there, I said... I'm going to take myself to Church's Chicken. And I walked down the block. I got Church's Chicken and I ate it by myself because I was so interested in trying it. You lived next to one for I six next to one. years. Okay. So to explain, I lived next to one for six years. Um, and the reason I couldn't eat there, like legitimately, I worked at Denny's for, uh, for those entire six years. I was a server and a front manager for them for six years. I walked past Church's Chicken every single day to go to work. And every day, every evening, because I worked, I worked at night. I worked 10 at night to 6 in the morning. Uh, every night at like midnight, right when they were closing up, I had to be out back when they were dumping their grease in the back. <laughs> And I couldn't bathe me in it. I couldn't what? make myself. What? I couldn't make myself go there. Fight me. I tried. Bathe me in it. I could. I couldn't do it. So to to go into it, yeah, it's number thirty-seven in the nation's top fast food chains for twenty twenty. And one of the hottest items on their menu is the Church's Chicken Honey Butter Biscuit. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I have not actually had their honey butter biscuit. I have read raving reviews of their honey butter biscuit. I, was I have heard say, everything. They I have, have had it. And it's good. They have been quoted as having the most at-home feel for a fast food restaurant because of their honey butter biscuits. <laughs> and to that I say amen. <laughs> yes. Yes. So because <laughs> you know I'm not a biscuit person. I know you're not. I'm not a biscuit person. I am person. a honey and butter biscuit person. And I think, mm. I think of all of the chicken restaurants that provide a biscuit with their meal, which is almost all of them. Yes. You're going to be real mad. Church's is the only one that sticks out in my mind as like a delicious biscuit. biscuit. KFC's is good. Popeye's is okay. You're going to be so mad. Church's? Bar none. 
a delicious biscuit. I can appreciate that. I will tell you right now, it from what it looks like, it reminds me of the Red Lobster Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Like, 100%, the, like the texture. But it's even lighter. Oh, that's and terrifying. And it's even more like buttery. And there's just this hint of sweet over the top. Like oh. there is just, mm, it is, it is, you hear of people describing like a pastry as tender. Yep. And I never understood that terminology until you have their biscuit. until i had a church's honey <laughs> butter biscuit for those of you that are not hungry right now i apologize because you're probably hungry at this moment and then i understood what a tender <laughs> bakery item was and it is church's honey <laughs> butter, butter biscuit. biscuit okay <laughs> you did not know you were going to get me on the soapbox today <laughs> but, but I, here we are here we are okay <laughs> we are on our last item number 95 and i'm going to tell you it is also mcdonald's you could have guessed that because there were three on the list and we've only hit two of them so the last one was going to mcdonald's and jay is going to be so mad <laughs> he's gonna be so mad what is number 95 jay don't tell me it's their steak and egg bagel. It is not their steak and egg oh, bagel. Oh, okay. Then I think I'll be less mad. I think you'll be less mad, but I think oh, you're no. still going to be mad. What is it? It's the Big Mac. I love the Big Mac. I know. He does love the Big Mac, but it is not his favorite thing at McDonald's. I know his favorite thing no, at McDonald's, and it is not that. What's my favorite thing at McDonald's? The steak and egg bagel. For breakfast? Uh, The double cheeseburger, extra onion, extra pickle. Close. Oh, Really? McDouble. McDouble. Okay, you know what, people? Everyone heard it. There's McDouble. a difference in cheese. The McDouble only has one slice of cheese. McDouble. And you know I don't love American cheese. Extra onion, extra pickle. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Big Mac is arguably the most iconic burger in the world. 100%. I will say that right Not now. Not a question. I, I appreciate these wonderful ones, but everyone knows the Big Mac. Uh, selling an estimated $550 million per year. Uh, this year marked the burger's 50th anniversary being on the menu uh which michelle celebrated with the release of Wait, 2020 celebrated the 50th anniversary yeah that's crazy uh, yeah it feels so young to me it does feel like very... 50 years feels so young to me because i know that puts it in like the 70s that it was it would have put, put it yeah. in 1970 70, yeah essentially which which i might be uh, off like, by a year i might be so a, might be 51 years this year. time is such a not, not time that's a very like broad time st- is such a relative thing. That, yeah, that's such a broad <laughs> statement. But like when I think of 1970, now I was born in 1988. I know I'm a baby, but when I think of 1970, like I think of a long time yes. ago. Yeah. And 50 years now that I'm 33 doesn't seem that long. No, it does not. So to think it was only 1970, and to think 1970 was only 50 years ago. It's just mind blowing yeah. to me, and how iconic it is now. Like you, how iconic it has become. In well, 50 and the years. fact that, like, it's it's hitting me currently that McDonald's isn't even a hundred years old. It is not. No, because it started in the fifties, didn't it? Uh, I'd have to double check, but I believe it was nineteen forty. Like, okay, it was in so the, it was in not, the strive up from the nineteen forties like, fast food. Yeah. McDonald's is older than Disney World. Yes, yes, it, it is because Disney World is coming up on its. 50th, 50th anniversary yeah. Disneyland just celebrated their 75th yeah, a little while ago yeah. but even still McDonald's is older than both of those I believe so yes I, it's just, which is just, I think it's very close to Disneyland I think they're like relatively within yes, a year of each other but it's it's just wildly interesting no right? it is yep um, but just so you guys know they didn't really uh, at least I didn't notice it but that was the reason they came out with the Big Mac Daddy and the Big Mac Junior 
if you guys did not know it was that. like an anniversary thing yeah the grand big mac with the extra patty and the and the big mac junior which is the junior burger oh, with the oh, sauce oh, oh, oh you're talking about the three different sizes that yeah they had. that they was had because... the big mac with the two pieces yep. and the butt in the middle yep. and then they had the big mac daddy like you said and then or they the had big the big mac i can't the, remember what they it was the it. grand big mac and the, grand the, big mac, mac, which and the was, mac junior which was three patties two, two middle buns two middle buns yep and then the Big Mac, which is the traditional two patties, two patties and one, one middle bun. bun. Yep. And then the single Mac Junior, Mac Junior, which was basically just a hamburger, but it was the, the Mac sauce, Mac and the setting, sal- yes, Mac setting and everything for it. Interesting. I did not realize. That, I didn't right? either, but it makes so much sense. It really does, and I know I thought. I, which, I, by the way, that that big Big Mac with. Mm. That grand Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jay, yeah, Jay enjoyed it thoroughly. I'm not a Big Mac person. More meat, more bun. I'll take it. Yeah, of course. I'm. I'm just not. I'm not a Big Mac person. <laughs> yeah, that just crossed. I just his realized mind, what, what I said. said. Yep. Shh. Yeah, he just crossed that in his head. <laughs> All <laughs> I right. Spit out my drink. Uh, he really did. Uh, okay, everyone. So that is our top five or our bottom five of our of our one hundred. Uh, if you guys thought of any surprises, let me know. I would love to hear what you guys were surprised about. I was very surprised with how many were McDonald's, though. I will tell you right now, there are a lot of McDonald's things on this menu, and they do fall further down the list than you can think of. Uh, McDonald's also has a huge, it has a huge menu. menu, and there are tons and, on there. And just out of curiosity, on your hundred list, is are these things that are available across the United States or are there regional things on here as well? From what I Because I, gathered, I know there's some McDonald's that still freaking serve the wraps that ours do not. Um, I'm angry about that one. It's a little spicy. I know there's regional ones that have the wraps still. They are. Some of them still have chicken selects. Some of them keep the mercury ball year round. Yeah. Like, it, are those taken well, so into that's account? A, so this is what's taken into account. They did it by the, fi- by the year. So if 2,000 people said they wanted the McRib mm-hmm. on it, and that beats out the 1,000, it's going to beat out the 1,000. Sure. Unfortunately, okay. that's the way it is. Um, I can tell you right now, like I said, there are quite a few on here. Like Tim Hortons is not in our area. So obviously, it's in enough areas throughout the world that it beat out other items on, on this list. But as we get further and further down the list, you're going to see more quintessential like everywhere items because everyone knows what they are. So these bottom, I would say probably like the bottom 50, are going to probably have some regional stuff in them. I'm trying to think of one right now. I can't really think of any at this point, but I know that they will obviously have yeah. a few in there. Um, but like I said, as you get closer and closer to the top, you're going to get to the things that are just like the standalones. Right. As okay. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's our, that's our bottom five. We'll do our next right. five, two episodes from now. So our next episode is going to be something fun that I've already picked out. I'm really excited about, uh, but we are going to get into our recipe. Uh, I did tell you guys that this is a leftover recipe. So it's going to be one of those recipes that, you take leftovers that you had leftovers like from a quick throw together. I, it's not like a cooked meal. It is not a cooked meal, but that's I do. Fantastic. Yeah. I do have um, some cooked part of it that I'm going to tell you about. That's my ranch dressing. It's my recipe for ranch dressing. Um, Jay loves it. It's uh, it's a recipe that I've stolen from working in fast food for over, over 10 years. And then working at Denny's and working at some sit down restaurants, they all had their own recipes and I made, I've made this one and it's, it's a solid recipe. It makes me happy. So, uh, they are going to be Irish nachos. For those of you that don't know what Irish nachos are, they are nachos made with French fries and corned beef and ranch because they are the white girl equivalent of a nacho. Um, so they're usually, they can be made with bacon, but, uh, because I thought this would be really nice to take your leftovers from St. Patrick's day and do what you can with them. This is how we're going to do it. So you take a bag of frozen French fries 
You're gonna need a, you're gonna need a one bag of frozen French fries, uh, a teaspoon of seasoning salt. You're gonna need a half a pound of diced corned beef or shredded corned beef. Now for the ranch dressing, this is a separate thing. You're gonna need a half cup of mayonnaise, a fourth cup of sour cream, a fourth cup of cold water, two teaspoons of chives, one half teaspoon of dill, one half teaspoon of of diced uh, parsley, a half teaspoon of garlic powder, half teaspoon of onion powder, fourth teaspoon salt, and an eighth teaspoon pepper. And as a reminder, all of those measurements will be on our website on the recipe that we post, so you do not have to be writing them down currently while you're driving. Yeah, don't, most worry. Likely. don't worry about that. Um, you can also always do Hidden Valley Ranch. That is Jay's favorite ranch in the entire oh, world. My, uh, not the entire world. Not the entire world. I will say we have a local pizzeria that has the oh, best God. ranch in the world. This is... But before that... It was always my uh, Red Robin was my go-to. Yeah. Red Robin Ranch was so superior. This ranch dressing is the ranch dressing recipe from the local as restaurant. As close as you can get. Nothing tastes yeah. as good as the local restaurant. Yeah, there's a little bit of... Um, now. No traditional Irish nachos typically have liquid cheese and no meat, correct? They have bacon. Oh, bacon. That's right. Yeah, there's bacon, okay. and they do use they do usually use liquid cheese. I prefer shredded sharp cheddar. That's too high. A cup of shredded sharp cheddar and a fourth cup of green onion diced. Yes. Okay. So then, first of all, in a in a small bowl, you're going to combine your mayo, your sour cream, and your water. Um, the sour cream to mayo ratio can change depending on how tart or sour you want your ranch mix to be. It just honestly depends on your flavoring. But relatively speaking, you want a half and a fourth. So it'll whisk itself out. And then with the hot water, whisk it until it's the correct consistency that you want your ranch to be. Because everything after this is not going to thicken this anymore. So if you like really liquidy ranch, then add more water to it. If you want less liquidy ranch, add less water. All right, whisk until fully combined and then add the spices. You're going to add them in slowly and whisk them, right? Now, this is the really, really, really quintessential part that I can tell you. If you can let it sit for an hour to allow the spices to mingle with each other, it'll taste astronomically better than what it will taste like right now. I will also tell you that scaling this recipe up by literally doubling everything always makes it better. I don't know why it is that way, but it is. Uh, it always seems to just equal itself out in the one. Now, after you have let it sit for an hour, you're going to make your French fries. So we have an air fryer. I know many people have an air fryer nowadays, but what I would recommend doing is taking your frozen fries, putting them in an air fryer. You're going to cook them at 400 for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, until they are crispy and brown. I generally cook them for 10 minutes, shake them up, and then cook them for an additional five. If you're going to deep fat fry them, you get a cast iron pan that has at least two inches of oil deep, and you are going to fill that with your preferred oil. Remember, if it's higher on the alphabet, meaning A, B, C, D, E, if it starts with that letter, it has less residual fat in it, and it is better for you. As you get further down that down that list, you're gonna have more, uh, more fat in it. It's gonna be less healthy for you. Though we all know that peanut oil is delicious. It is not the greatest oil you should be using. Um, you're going to cook your French fries from 350 to th uh, from 300 to 350 degrees, uh, and then you're going to fry them in batches. Do not pour an entire bag of frozen French fries into that oil. It will explode. And or overflow, and you will have a nightmare on your hands. Yeah, you will. So do it in batches. Fry them. When you are pulling them out, make sure you put them onto paper towels and then dab them out. If you don't believe us, look up videos of people air frying or people frying, frying turkeys, turkeys oh my god at their homes yep that's yeah and then you will believe us uh yeah and then just like yeah the fries will cool um give it about five minutes let them cool down be careful do not overcrowd your skillet don't over don't overfill your fat um be very careful that's why i said use a two inch pan and only fill up by an inch um 
You're going to use as much oil as you need to. And then you just scoop them out as you need. Okay. Now, once the fries are golden and crispy, remove them from the oil and put them in a very large platter. I like to use a, a large round oval one. Uh, you can use like a, a 9 by 11. Uh, if you watch our TikTok, you probably saw the platter featured in our shrimp scampi dish. Yeah. If you watch our TikTok, you'll see me making this also because I'm going to make this one as well. Agreed. Um, so I you can use either a serving dish or you can use a 9 by 11 uh, cake pan. Now, you're going to layer this. So a small layer of one layer of French fries, then your cheese, and then you're going to sprinkle the, then you're going to drizzle some of the ranch mix on top of that. Then you're going to put some of your corned beef, then another layer of French fries, cheese, ranch, corned beef, French fries, cheese, corn, or corned beef, ranch. Make sure that when you're all done with this, you have about a two spoonfuls of ranch left over and some cheese. You're going to pour some of the cheese on top, put the ranch on top of it. The French fries are going to let that cheese melt, okay? And then at the very end, you're going to pour some of that, that ranch on the very top of it, and then you're going to top with your diced green onions. It makes a solid side dish. It could be a meal. If you're a fatty like me and Jay, it'll be your meal for the night <laughs> uh, just because we're going to eat an entire bag of French fries. Uh, so that's just kind of how it is. But keeping in mind, if you don't have corned beef left over from St. Patrick's oh, Day, yeah. you can utilize bacon, 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 bacon bits. bits. Like you don't want to use like the crispy bacon bits like you use on a salad. You want to use those like real bacon bits. Yeah. But um, you can also find prosciutto and some of the deli meats also. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you want to slice, if you find sliced deli meat that you really really like, if you dice it up finely enough and mix it in, totally fine. They do sliced corned beef as well. Just so you know, if you didn't make corned beef or you had leftover corned beef and you you can slice that up really thin. You also do not need to add meat to this. Uh, Also, for my vegetarians that really like it. Uh, the vegan mayonnaise and some vegan sour cream also work. If you're not, if you're a um, a vegan, if you're vegetarian, just remove the meat, and this is completely vegetarian. There's yeah. really no part of this that you can't that you can't it's, have. It's super adaptable, and the flavor is still fairly the same profile. Oh, 100%. And still really delicious. Yeah, uh, I have made this vegetarian before. It's very tasty. It's a really really good, good oh, yeah. vegetarian mix, Absolutely. and nobody realizes it. To be 100 honest. Irish nachos without bacon, totally fine. And, I mean, we're from the Midwest, so anything with ranch on it will devour. Oh, yeah, of course. So, thank you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, Like I said, my next week episode is going to be an actual episode about a dish that I'm going to choose. And we'll have a really awesome meal. I have a really, really pretty cool um, recipe for that one as well. All right. So, we are going to move on to my section, which is true crime. And... uh, I'm not allowed to say yay fun, but... No, you're not, and today's a really tough one. So, not yay fun. Not yay fun. So, the story I'm covering today is the story of Paul Martin Andrews, or he's also known as the boy in the box. Um, I'm going to do... It, the title sounds familiar. Oh, okay. Um, there's a very... I don't want to say popular, but there's a very well-known... Uh, crime of the girl in the box. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Um, and this one kind of rings similarly. But um, I'm going to do a brief overview of his story. Uh, Paul Martin Andrews is a survivor of this ordeal. Oh. Uh, he survives. there. He And he shared his experience in his own words. And I am going to share those with you. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going to read those verbatim. Uh, I then have a follow-up to the story. Uh, there is a trigger warning. Uh, This particular portion of our episode is going to deal with young children, sexual assault, and graphic descriptions. 
Um, while I realize you don't want to hear it, you have to because you're my host. But if it's not something you are prepared to hear or want to hear, you're more than welcome to skip ahead at the ep- end of the episode. We have um, music at the end. You'll know what it ends. Yeah, with no judgment or uh, issues from me. So Jay knows I like survivor stories because I like to know what happened at the end. I just don't love not knowing. Right. So I got most of my information. Uh, actually, I got all of my information from articles uh, from People Magazine, which was written by Bill Hewitt, uh, an article on Love the Morbidology him. blog uh, written by Emily Thompson. Morbidology is a, a podcast. I've not listened to it at all, but I'm going to start because it seems very interesting. It's right up our alley. That is very interesting. Uh, true crime and such. Uh, And then an article that was published in The Hook magazine and written by Spencer Hawes. And then another one written by Paul Martin Andrews himself. Uh, So as the overview, on the 11th of January in 1973 in Portsmouth, Virginia, it was a snow day for the local schools. 13-year-old Paul Martin Andrews was walking to a convenience store when he was approached by a man driving a blue Ford van. The man in the van identified himself as Pee Wee in order to give Paul some cash I'm sorry, and offered to give Paul some cash if he would help him move some furniture, and Paul agreed. Uh, Once they got to the location, there was a locked chain across the road. They would have to walk the short distance to collect the key in Pee-wee's brother's deer box. Uh, When they got to the deer box, which was a plywood box built underground and was four foot high, four foot wide, and eight foot long, uh, Pee-wee lowered himself into the box and asked Paul to follow him. Once Paul was in the box, he threatened him with a 12-inch knife. He told Paul to strip naked and lie on his stomach inside the box before sexually assaulting him. This was Paul's routine for the next eight days. The box had been constructed by Pee-wee. Paul was allowed out of the box to cook food and said there were even times that Pee-wee treated him decently. On the eighth day, some hunters stumbled across the box and heard Paul's screams. Pee-wee was away from the box. The two hunters called police, and when they arrived, they photographed Paul, still chained in the box. He was taken to the hospital, and Paul couldn't remember much about his reunion with his siblings. Pee-wee was quickly apprehended. His real name was Richard Alvin Osley, and he was a repeat offender. On the day he abducted Paul, Osley had been scheduled to appear in a Portsmouth courtroom on a sodomy charge, which involved a 14-year-old boy. Oh, my God. At the same time, Osley was on parole for the 1961 abduction of a 10-year-old boy who he had hogtied, sexually assaulted, and then left in the woods. Osley was found guilty of abduction and sodomy and sentenced to 48 years in prison. Mm-hmm. That is the overview the basic. of yeah. what this is. Whew. And now uh, I'm going to read the account of the entire ordeal. Uh, that was written by Paul Martin Andrews in 2003 for an exclusive with The Hook magazine. Uh, the date and time of this article will become important and will be made clear in the ending um, gotcha. of okay. the episode. And just to um, preface, this is the part that's the trigger warning people. Uh, uh, again, uh, this does get very graphic. This is his story. I did not want to change or water down anything that he had written or had spoke about his ordeal. Um, The entire thing is a quote uh, from him in this article written by him. Uh, So, like I said, it's trigger warning, sexual assault, graphic content. Uh, It it involves a a young boy. Uh, So just be aware of that. You are not obligated to listen. No. Quote. still love you. Quote. 
I was born in 1959, the first of three children. With both parents working, we were latchkey kids who pretty much took care of ourselves in the morning and after school. I was 11 when my parents separated, and they divorced when I was 12. The divorce was pretty hard on us all, with bad feelings on both sides, but we got through it. When I was 13, my mother remarried. My stepfather was a widower with three children, and we moved from the rural Isle of White County into his home in Portsmouth. In the city, with movies, arcades, convenience stores, as well as newly acquired smoking habit, I needed money. To earn more, I took a paper route, which I enjoyed because it gave me a sense of responsibility and accomplishment. One day in January, about six months after I moved to Portsmouth, it turned really cold and snowed. The streets were frozen the next morning, a Thursday, and I had to deliver my papers wearing ice skates and pulling a sled. With school closed that day, I stayed home with the younger children. Because we were out of milk, I started off to walk the four blocks up the street to a convenience store. I was about three blocks from home when a blue van pulled up beside me. The driver said he needed help moving some furniture and asked if I wanted to make some money. I was a precocious, verbal child, and my parents didn't raise me to be, quote, seen and not heard, end quote. I was very at home around adults. He seemed honest enough, so I got in. He introduced himself as Pee Wee. In a recent interview with a Richmond newspaper, Richard Alvin Osley introduced himself using the exact same words he said to me that day. Everybody calls me Pee Wee. In retrospect, I believe Pee Wee is a mechanism he uses to make himself appear weak or harmless. As we headed for the interstate, I became a bit concerned. At some point, I noticed a long, wooden-handled knife in the molded pocket in the back of the engine compartment cover. Inside the van, I lit a cigarette and also said he smoked the same brand. Then he stopped at a store to get a few things for his brother. It was to his brother's house that we were supposedly heading. How, how old is he here? He's 15? He is 13 years old. 13. I believe. Yes, he was 13 at this time. He left me alone in the van and I sat there. I suddenly had a strong desire to get out and run, but there were a number of reasons why I didn't. Firstly, I had no real idea where we were except that we were somewhere near or around Suffolk. I was also afraid of the trouble I would get in if my parents found out what I had done. And on some level, I was afraid he would think badly of me if I took off when he needed my help. He came back a few minutes later with several bags of groceries and a carton of Marlboros, my brand. As he drove, he constantly engaged me in conversation, encouraging me to talk about myself and assuring that we didn't have much farther to go. When we finally got to our destination, he became upset to find a chain across the dirt road he said led to his brother's house. We were going to have to walk to the house and get the key to, lock on the, cha to the lock on the chain. He asked me to come with him and help carry the supplies he'd brought to stock his brother's deer box, which was on the way to the house. We'd gone only about 10 or 20 yards down the dirt road when he said he'd forgotten something and told me to wait while he went back to the van. The van was still clearly in view and I was able to see him put something down the front of his pants. I was pretty sure it was the knife. I was getting really nervous, but I was unsure what to do, and I still had a sense I was just overreacting. Nobody really expects the worst. We had walked about a quarter of a mile when he stopped and pointed to a raised area about 30 yards from the road. He said that was his brother's deer box. All that could be seen from the surface was a small piece of tin shaped like a pan that looked like it had been there for a long time. He lifted the front edge to reveal a structure built into the ground. Osley said this was where his brother hid while he was hunting. I was relieved that some of what he had told me was true, and I thought that soon we'd be on our way back to Portsmouth with the load of furniture. 
He went down to the box and had me hand him supplies. Then he asked me to come down in the box to help him straighten it up. This seemed, hardly, this seemed harmless enough, so I lowered myself into the box. The box was made out of plywood and 2x4s, about 4 foot high by 4 foot wide and 8 feet long, with a large shelf on the back for foodstuffs and supplies and sleeping bags on the floor. When I lowered myself in, I saw the knife that I had previously seen in the truck struck I'm sorry, stuck into the end of the support that held up the shelf. He told me to move to the back of the box so I could help him shake out a piece of a blue piece, piece of plastic covering the floor. As we were struggling with the sheet in the tight quarters, he said, quote, hold it, this isn't working, quote. Then he said, quote, I've got bad news for you. You've just been kidnapped, quote. My blood ran cold, and I got that scared feeling you get when you've just been caught in a lie. Then he laughed and said, quote, can't you take a joke? I'm just kidding, but you'll have to stay here until this afternoon, end quote. I immediately struck a defensive posture, telling him I know self-defense, and I would hurt him if he came near me. He said I was scaring him, and that made me drop my guard. All at once, he grabbed me and pulled me to him. As I was fighting to get free, I reached for the knife, but he had pretty well, pretty well restrained me. Then he hit me, and I stopped struggling. Osley warned me if they, uh, that if I ever tried to touch the knife again, he would kill me. That knife had always haunted me over the years. It was a good-sized knife, about 12 inches long, with the brand named Old Hickory burned into the wooden handle. When I saw a set of knives made by the same company in the grocery store about five years later, I was instantly feared with, filled with fear and wanted to run out the store. I avoided that aisle for a long time after that. To this day, I'm instantly reminded of the incident and fear whenever I see one of those knives. In thinking back on that week, I always thought I remembered all the sexual abuse. But now I realize I remember only five incidents. Even though Osley abused me as many as three times a day, the first happened almost immediately. He began by telling me to remove all of my clothes, and then he did the same. He told me to turn over onto my stomach, and I felt him grease my rectum with Vaseline. He told me what was going to happen next might be uncomfortable, but that it was something he had to do, and I should be quiet. He was not gentle as he lay on top of me, raping me. I don't remember him saying anything. I knew what he was doing, but I had no idea what for. I saw a Nick Nolte movie, The Prince of Tides, a few years ago. He described the time when three escaped convicts broke into his home when he was a boy. One raped his mother, another raped his sister, and the third bent him over a table, pulled his pants down, and raped him. He said he had no idea one man could even do that to another. I thought the same thing while Osley was sodomizing me. It seemed to last forever, but it was probably only ten minutes or so. I know that he ejaculated because the semen acted like an enema, and the next morning I saw that I had soiled my underwear. When it was over, he rolled off me and told me to get dressed. He gave me all new clothes, including thermal underwear. I didn't know why he gave me different clothes, until the day he left and made me change back into my original clothes. Then I realized he hadn't wanted anyone to recognize me by my clothes if they happened to see us outside of the box. The next incident I remember happened that night as we lay in our sleeping bags. He reached over, undid my pants, and masturbated me. Again, I had no idea what was happening, but after it was over, I figured it out pretty quick. He asked me if that was my first time, and because I didn't want him to think I was some rube, I told him that it wasn't and that my girlfriend had done that to me before. That was a lie, but it was also the last time he did that. He was withdrawn and very quiet. When I said when I said I had 
what I said had obviously upset him. I recognized early that if I could keep him talking, I could put off his attacks, and I tried to continually engage him in conversation and otherwise keep him occupied. At his trial, he remarked that I talked all the time, that he couldn't shut me up. I really don't remember any specific conversations, but I remembered that we talked a good bit about my life and my family life. He was good at conversation, or at least at getting young boys to open up to him. He spoke often of two brothers and showed me their pictures and told me their names. Much later, I learned that he had previous victims. At no time did he ever show any affection for me, nor did he ever ask me to show any towards him. He never kissed me. He never expressed any regret for anything he did to me. Once, he asked me what I thought about him and his sexual assaults, and I told him I thought he was sick and needed help. While he didn't react overtly to this, he didn't seem to appreciate it. Osley had planned all this very well. He'd gone to a great deal of trouble to build that box. He had put a lot of thought into his capture story. The details, like stopping to buy my cigarettes, told me that he had planned this for a lot to last a while. I believe he'd spent a lot of time thinking up the abduction and the box, but he had not spent a lot of time thinking about what would happen once all the pieces were in place. Did he think he could hide out there forever? Did he think that I'd continue to provide him with an ever-diverse supply of sex? Did he think I'd come to enjoy it? His initial thrill seemed to wear off as the week progressed. He also seemed not to have planned an exit strategy. In some ways, I'm glad about that. If he had, he probably would have killed me. Once I tried to make a deal with him about the sexual abuse, and he made it clear that he was in control and would do as pleased. Another time, for no reason other than to terrorize me, he threatened to strip me naked and chain me to a tree, where he said he would whip me until I bled, allowing the cold to freeze my wounds, and then he would return to do it again. When I pleaded with him not to do that, he laughed and said, quote, Can't you take a joke? Quote, I often pretended to be asleep when we were in the box so he would leave me alone. But one time he told me to wake up. He, one time he woke me, told me to move to the back of the box. He got on his knees, opened his pants, and pulled out his penis. He told me to put my mouth on it. When I hesitated, he assured me it was clean. I remember thinking that whether it was clean was not what was on my mind. He picked up the knife and, holding it to my throat, told me he would kill me if he felt my teeth. I didn't know why he said that. The thought of biting had never occurred to me. He tried to finish, but I was gagging and throwing up, and he couldn't. In fact, he never finished a single act of oral sex, which seemed to depress him, and his frustration seemed to grow with each incident. Outside, we cooked by campfire and explored the woods. I remember remarking that outside of the box it was very much like a regular camping trip. There was only one incident of sexual abuse I can remember occurring outside of the box, and it happened only after I had commented about all of the sex occurring inside the box. Osley didn't like to be analyzed. If I made any observation about his behavior, he got upset and would change, as if to prove me wrong. He refused to introduce any psychological evidence at his trial. He always seemed to be thinking and brooding. Also, he was very strong. On Sunday... Three days into the kidnapping, he began to talk about getting me home. He gave me two choices. The first was he would take me back and I would tell my parents I had run away. If I agreed to do that and went through with it, he would send me a money order for $50. He also said someone would be watching me to see if I called the police and I would need a bodyguard if I took his money and went back on my word. 
My second choice was for him to leave me in the box and contact my mother to let her know where I was so she could come pick me up. He told me not to expect her until the next day so he'd have time to get away. He gave me four hours to decide. I chose the second option. He bound my hands and feet with wire. I remember thinking it was the same kind of wire they used to bind my newspapers into bundles. He moved me to the center of the box and then straddled me. Without any warning, he then began to beat me in the face. He was very upset that I had not taken the first option. I chose the second option partly because I didn't want the cloud of someone watching me my every move when I went back home, but mostly I didn't want to have to explain to my parents how or why I had run away. I know it's not real common these days for kids to be concerned what, peer, what people think of them and to want to not disappoint their parents, but it was very common in my day, and it certainly was in my case. As he beat me, he kept asking why I hadn't chosen the first option. He accused me of being a goody-goody. All I can remember saying was I was sorry. I testified at trial that he began crying so hard that he had trouble untying my hands. I tried to convince him I was willing to go through with his first option, but he didn't believe me. Finally, on Thursday, one week after my ordeal began, he announced he was leaving. He told me that if he stayed with me any longer, he would kill me. When night fell, he began to get his things together and had me changed back into my original clothes. He wrapped the chain around my ankle and secured it with the lock. The time he left my hands untied. This time he left my hands untied. He asked for my mother's phone number so he could call her and said he'd tell her to bring a pair of bolt cutters when she came to get me. Just as he was getting ready to leave, he turned to me and said, quote, I've got to have that one more time. End quote, and he raped me again. The next morning I awoke early in anticipation of my mother's arrival. I tried to pull the chain from the wall, but it was fastened securely. Then I found a pair of fingernail clippers he'd left, and I started trying to cut through the chain. It was slow work, but I was making some progress. It was these marks in the chain that I used to identify it at the trial. I never really thought about the possibility of dying in the box. In my mind, I was on the way to freeing myself. Also, for some reason, I never imagined the possibility of him just outright killing me. Pretty soon, I heard the sound of a vehicle coming. I was certain it was my mother because I could hear the shifting of gears, and my mother owned a Plymouth Duster with a three-speed manual transmission. But he had never called her. When I saw it wasn't my mother but some sort of truck, I began to yell and scream, mostly profanities. I'm always reminded of this when I watch The Silence of the Lamb and the, girls, and the girl in the pit screams profanities at Jodie Foster as she's being rescued. One of the passengers pointed a rifle at me and ordered me to come up out of the box. I told him that I couldn't, that I'd been kidnapped and was chained. I was very afraid he was going to shoot me. Eventually, the four rabbit hunters got out of their truck and sent someone to get the police. I wanted to continue to cut through the chain to free myself, but they told me I should wait until the police come so they could see me as I'd been left. When the police came, they took pictures, cut the chain, and put me in a police car and took me to the hospital. But it was not the hospital where my mother worked, and I insisted they take me to that one. My first memory of being at the hospital was sitting in a large examination room. I heard footsteps coming down the hall and my mother's voice saying, Where is he? Where is he? I have the clearest memory of my mother running up to the police officer standing outside the door. Her knees were bent as she ran up to him and I believed she was about to collapse. I jumped off the exam table and ran to her. She hugged me very hard. 
Later, some police detectives brought a photo album, and I identified a picture of Richard Elvin Ostley. At the time, I was still calling him Pee-wee. The detective told my mom they already knew who they were after, and they just wanted me to confirm it. Something that later bothered me about that statement was if they knew who they were looking for, why had they so adamantly told my parents and family that I had run away? He was a repeat offender, living in my neighborhood, missing on the very day he was supposed to go back to court for abusing a child. Another child comes up missing from the same area that very day, and nobody put it together? If they did, they did not tell my parents. Afterwards, a doctor came in and examined my rectum. He took an x-ray of my nose, which showed a hairline fracture. My eyes were black and one of my teeth was cracked, but otherwise, I was in good condition. We made one stop on the way home, at the grocery store. My stepfather went in to get me whatever I wanted. It was mostly junk food, chips, and candy. Then I went right upstairs to shower. I remember looking down at the water at my feet and seeing it was black. I was really dirty. That shower felt especially good. I felt as if I were washing off the entire week. Later that week, later that night, the police came to my house. They asked very explicit questions about the sexual abuse and wanted me to recount each incident. It was then that I discovered I lost a day. I had been trying to keep track of the days in my mind over the course of the week, but somehow I had lost one. I have no real recollection of my reunion with my siblings. I believe now that my parents kept them from making too big of a deal of it, probably to try and make my homecoming less traumatic. I do remember my stepsister, who was about six, telling me she knew I was coming home that day. On her way to school, she had seen a rainbow, and she knew it was a sign from God that this would be the day. On Sunday, we went to church, and I remember it being a very joyous day. People came up to me afterwards to tell me about the service they'd had on the Sunday I was gone. It revolved a lot around my being missing. The youth choir had sung the th Sunday after I was taken, and several members cried when they sang their song. Until recently, I never really talked about what happened to me during that week. Very close friends had been surprised to find out something so extraordinary has never been brought up or shared or even hinted at. My partner of 22 years had only a vague understanding of what I endured. One person, however, a fireman and a member of my church, Troy Tippin, told me he had spent the week riding in a helicopter searching for me. He's the only person who has, over the years, occasionally brought up that week, and I've always appreciated it. Most people have acted like that incident never happened. My parents felt I was broken, then they needed to fix me. Unfortunately for me, that was the prevailing opinion of the police and members of the medical community. I had done nothing to precipitate their opinion, but the police convinced my parents I might become a threat to other children and act out on them sexually. Everyone recommended they at least put me in psychotherapy, and many recommended that I be placed in an institution. What had I done? Why was I being punished? I was sent to a locked psychiatric ward with drug addicts, runaways, and suicidals. Over the next few days, I went with the other kids to group therapy and occupational therapy, where I learned to make a belt. I went for one test where the tester showed me a series of pictures, and I was to make up a story about what I thought was happening in them. The test bothered me a lot because all the pictures seemed to have some bearing on my ordeal. The tester assured me they were random pictures, and even though I believe that now, 
It was a hard I had a hard time believing it then. When I was with Osley, he told me if I hadn't been me, if it hadn't been me, it would have been someone else. I said then, as I say today, I thank God I was the one that this was happened this happened to. It upset my parents to hear me say that, and people today don't often understand it. I say it mostly because it was an experience I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but also because I knew inside I was strong enough to get through it, and a lot of kids wouldn't have been. I still believe that today, but I have expanded on my reasons a bit. Today I'm also grateful to have seen the hand of God at work in my life. Whenever I have a crisis of faith, I am always able to look back on that week and know with certainty that there is a God that God answers prayers, and that there is such a thing as miracles. The entire time I was with Osley, I prayed for deliverance and protection. I crossed myself after my prayers as Catholics do, even though I'm not Catholic. Today, when I read the words of the Apostle Paul, quote, pray without ceasing, quote, I am reminded of my prayers in the box. As you can imagine, I'm grateful God answered those prayers and the prayers of so many others. The circumstances of my survival and rescue are proof enough to me of his existence and love for me. Over the years, as I have tried to make sense of that week, I have often questioned why God would have reached out his hand to save me, and I have come to believe that God saved me because he had a purpose for my life that did not include dying in that box or at the hand of Richard Osley. End quote. That was intense. I felt weird interrupting, so I didn't want to interrupt. But it's... no, and and uh, yeah, no that that story needed to be told in its entirety. Yeah, without interruption. I'm, I'm in complete agreement on the fact that like how, that, and you and I have listened to enough podcasts at this point, and just teenage runaway podcasts that I can't fathom when it became okay to immediately drive to the he ran away logic it is very i much... don't care if he did run away he is 13 years old and should be looked for well and i and that goes for today i don't care if a 13 year old runs away today yeah it's they weird. need to be looked for immediately it's very weird that that's not like part of this it's something Even if that you're a runaway like you're not a, you're not an adult you shouldn't be run like no you don't have it, it is not to, something not that, not that there aren't children that are in dire situations that they need to run away from that is 100 percent understandable absolutely and i get it but, but most of those children don't run away to never be seen again no right they run away to other trusted a family, family member members they run away to or... trusted friends yeah. some run to police stations they run away to be found they don't run away to disappear children typically are running to don't run away to disappear Children, typically, if they're running away from situations bad at home, they're running away to be found by someone that can by someone that can help them. Yeah, it's uh... so the it, and it, it's it's something that I think is 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 a negative narrative in our system that becomes so so like especially this day and age yeah. when people are so flippant and I ignorance the best word I can put for it. But when people are so flippant and ignorant to feelings of today's youth, yeah, like yeah. today's youth are going through so much, even we as an adult, as adults, I can't say that I had anxiety when I was a child, 
but I definitely have it as an adult. adult. And I know as somebody who works in the school system and works with children, middle school to high school age, those kids are going through so much more than I ever went through when I was in high school. There's so many more aspects to it in terms of social media and everything else. Well, is there's positive effects to it. There's a lot of negative effects. And I think the attitude towards mental health is so flippant that yeah, the part where he, that, he could be a danger to his classmates. Yes. Was very weird. Not, the, it not was, weird. It was, it, it was completely understandable for the fact that this was in the 1970s. No, 100%. That, that, but it was uncomfortable to hear. Um, I have more. Okay. Uh, so this article that I just read was released for a reason. This was not a publicity attempt by the victim of this crime. It was not a money grab. And it was definitely not for fame. Oh, no. Paul didn't come forward with any of his story until 2002. He oh, did God. not share it until 2002 when Osley was up for mandatory parole, oh, meaning he had to be released. Andrews knew it had come time to fight and fight back. Paul said, quote, I wanted to see that Osley never did this again to anyone. He changed the course of my life, end quote. Osley had served 30 years, but under Virginia's old parole laws, which had since been discarded, 17 years were taken off of his sentence. Paul discovered the only way to stop him from being released was a process called civil confinement, under which certain violent sex crime felons are evaluated and then can be held indefinitely in special treatment facilities until they are deemed safe for release, if ever. Virginia had already had confinement statutes on the book, but had never used them because of the expense of setting up such programs. It was 2002, and this wouldn't be funded on the books until 2004, meaning Osley was set to be released to the public. Osley said he was not a threat to anybody and deserved to be paroled. He stated, quote, I know I'm in here on some very bad charges, but my past is in the past, and that's where it's going to stay. I've got too much going for me out there, too much to look forward to, end quote. But Paul and the rest of the world would disagree. Paul saying, quote, this man is a monster. He preys on children. This is someone who raped, kidnapped, and beat a 13-year-old child and buried him in the ground and left him there to die, end quote. The fact that this man is even considered to be up for parole. Let's get rid of civil confinement. The fact that they are willing to take this person and put him back in the world is so So infuriating. It's unfathomable. Thanks to his tireless efforts, Virginia State Legislature voted to fund the program early. Paul said, quote, it's not very often you get a chance to make a difference, to pay back what you owe God for saving you, end quote. Just several months after the decision, Osley wrote a letter from behind bars to the Richmond Times-Dispatch apologizing for what he had done to Paul. He wrote, quote, there are not the words to express the remorse I feel for the disregard towards another human being that I have shown Mr. Andrews. I take full responsibility for my actions surrounding the abuse of Mr. Andrews. I also acknowledge that Mr. Andrews was a victim of a man who desperately needed treatment. I sincerely apologize to Mr. Andrews and his family for the pain and suffering I have put them through because of my inappropriate behavior and poor judgment. End quote. 
that's not something you can apologize for. Well, and sorry. I, I mean, you can. You can apologize. You can apologize. For, but it doesn't mean you're going to get. It doesn't mean you're going to get. It doesn't get you anything. Well, anything that. But how many? How many years now? That was. This 15? was 2002. Well, and even this event happened. I believe, if I remember correctly, 1973. So. It's thirty years later. I don't want to say too little, too late. That's not no, what I'm getting at. No, in here. this situation, too little, too late. Well, and it is. I know you could have apologized the day after, and it wouldn't have been enough. Well, and you can apologize. That doesn't mean you're going to get forgiven for it. No. But it, that letter feels very much like, "Please forgive me, so that I can get out of here." That doesn't right. feel like a. I don't want to see. He does sound sincere, but it's like. No. He took so uh, long to even have any kind of. Response. Actually, I don't. I don't have it in my notes here. He, but at one point, I did read a thing that said, uh, "Paul." Basically equated his apology letter to a form letter. Well, that, that's what it, it sounds like. It was not like. sincere. No. There was nothing heartfelt about it in any way. It was a form letter. Uh, so in January of 2003, Osley was found dead in his prison cell. <gasps> he had been strangled to death by his cellmate. Oh, my God. Paul said, quote, I'm shocked. That's not what I wanted for him. I don't hate Richard Osley, end quote, when he learned of his murder, which I'm sorry, Paul is a better man than I because it didn't happen to me and I hate Osley. Uh, Osley's cellmate had been molested as a child and he had warned prison officials not to place him in the same cell as a child molester. So, as we far know, as I mean, I'm that's... concerned, Osley had what came to him. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very sad... But it's, it's, it's a hard thing to say. Uh, and it, my final piece, later that year, Paul returned for the first time to the site where he had been confined oh God. and found some consolation. Paul said, quote, when I was in the box, there was a huge tree that had fallen outside it. Now there's not much left of it. I could see the earth had gone on and so had I, end quote. Well, that's beautiful. And that Ugh. was the story of the boy in the box. A survival story for today of a horrific ordeal say something nice i can't i can't leave on that one something fun he survived he did survive he That's... survived and he moved on and he's lived in miami with his uh partner mark for like 30 years and he has a software company and as far as i could tell in the research i did he's he's living a normal and happy life okay that so, makes it feel better. Yeah. It, it, this this actually has a positive ending. It does, but it's the criminal so died. Sad. The criminal died. Yeah, I don't I didn't want and him to frankly, die. He deserved to stay in he decided to stay in jail the entire time. Yes, but how poetic. It it how is poetic. Poetic is not the right word for it, but I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. You're correct. But that's our episode today, folks. Thank you for joining us. We really loved seeing you guys here. Yes. And like we said at the end of A's episode, um, all of his recipes are on our website, www.recipeid.com. Recipeandid.com. Sorry. Um, all of our social media handles will be posted at the end of the episode. But please, please, please like us on social media. Follow. Interact with us there. We have a lot of fun. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all the things. And make sure to like and subscribe uh, to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any social or any uh, podcast players you use. And if you have any suggestions for an episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. If you have any suggestions for recipes, crime casts, anything like that, we would love to. We might continue to do some of these small little 
um, mini-sodes in between these episodes because we really, really enjoyed them. They were fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to record. And uh, I know that I have gotten a couple suggestions from uh, some of my students and some of my students' parents. Uh, they listen to the show, and I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, and I know I've got one that is a, a local uh, uh, killer. Yeah, killer. A local, a local killer. Murder. Uh, old one. Um, that I'm pretty excited to do. I don't know if I'm going to do it the next episode, but I'm going to do it pretty soon because I think that's a it's an interesting one to share, especially because it's local to our area in the Midwest, Indiana. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, with that, uh, have a good day and thanks for listening, guys. Okay, I had a great St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Go Brog. Is that, that's the phrase, right? I don't know. Okay. E will tell me. Bye, guys. So thank you guys for tuning in. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at recipe and ID. So that is the at sign recipe and a and D ID. You can also find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, or any other podcast platform that you use. You can also visit our website, www.recipeandid.com, where you'll find all of our episodes and recipes featured in the show. There's also contact information if you'd like to reach out and suggest a topic. So keep your bellies full. And don't be a criminal.